the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome as we begin together a brand new week. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions and whatever else is on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner. At the top of the screen, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our primary number, one more time, is 340-9585. Can I brag on God just for a moment? Today was the beginning of school here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. This is our 20th year of our free school. Uh, all the kids come in today. We have 135 kids. That's all we can fit. We could have triple that or quadruple that if we if we had the space. But that's all the space that we have, and to see them here and to listen to them and the joy. And that also means that our prayer team for this radio show was back bigger and better than ever before. Uh, the kids came in. Oh, and I'm supposed to tell Mama Paula. That's what she said. Tell Mama Papa or Mama Paula, hi, I miss her. And that's from Hannah Paula. So um, the kids are back, and they're praying for you. They're praying for me, and they're praying for the show. We would love your live calls and questions. 20 years of something that people said was an impossible thing, but that's what we've done. Here is a question that came in last week, and I touched on it. I touched on it uh, Friday, and I said I would get to it at the top of the program because I didn't have time. It was an anonymous question. It said, why does it seem that so many preachers are overweight and don't consider it a sin like homosexuality? Are they picking and choosing? Now, I only had a minute to deal with this on uh, Friday's program, and I needed a little bit more time. So um, two things. Let me, let, me, let me approach it from maybe your perspective first, and then I'll do it from, I think, a biblical perspective. Um, the questioner um, seems to be um, having an axe to grind. Um, gluttony is sinful. Uh, there are, unfortunately, a lot of overweight pastors. Um, one of the problems that I have with that, and I, when I say overweight, I'm talking about um, grossly, 50 pounds or more overweight. You know, for me, it would be hard to teach that self-control is the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5 if I was really obese. Now, before anybody thinks that I don't understand. Uh, I don't know how many of you have gone to the website and listened to my testimony, but I used to be obese. Before I got saved, 
in the world, I was obese. I mean, morbidly so. And um, one of the very first things I ever heard the Lord speak to my heart was, Ron, get your body in shape. We've got work to do. And, and it wasn't like an order, but he was just telling me that I have to be prepared. And having been filled with the Holy Spirit, I knew that I had the ability to do what he has to. But, but the key is that in my particular case, I tried every diet. I tried crash exercise programs. Nothing worked. I'd lose a little bit and, and double the amount I lost would come back. And I remember when the Lord spoke to my heart and said, get your body in shape. I said, I can't. If you want me to do that, you have to do it. Now, all I did was change one thing about my eating habits. And that was instead of drinking so many sodas, I used to drink, and I'm not exaggerating, 20 plus Coca-Colas a day. I stopped that and started drinking only water. And then I got out of bed early in the morning. I began first walking with Jesus. I was too fat to run. I began walking with Jesus. And um, I, I would use that time to pray. And I enjoyed the time out walking with him so much and praying uh, with him so much that I would, I would get to where I could go farther and farther. Slowly I'd start running, first downhill, and then I'd get farther and farther away because I wanted more time while I was walking back with him to pray. I craved the time with him. And anonymous for me, the pounds just poured off me. I lost more than 75 pounds in, in like six months. And my weight hasn't fluctuated all that much. I mean, I've had a few health issues, which would make it go up a little or down a little bit. But my weight hasn't fluctuated all that much in the 28 years since. So as a pastor teaching the Bible, I've got to teach people that the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than my flesh. And if I don't do that, then I lose any authority that I have. So I agree with you in that I think there's a whole lot of Bible teachers, pastors, preachers who are setting a bad example. I think we can talk out of one side of our mouth and have people look at us out of the other side and and think, well, well, he's too fat or he's this or he's that. Now, obviously we should be kind to everybody. But we who are teachers of the word ought to take it so seriously that we can speak from a position of authority. Now, from the other direction, Anonymous, it always amazes me that somebody like you who asks this question can ask it with a straight face. I've never heard an obese pastor trying to get other people to follow in his obesity. And you know with homosexuality, that's exactly what they demand that we accept it, affirm it, approve it, we demand that they demand that we stop calling it a sin. And the truth of the matter is, according to the Apostle Paul, that sexual sin is different than other sins. It's worse. It gives the enemy an opening. All other sins, he writes to the Corinthians, are sins committed outside our body. But when a man sins sexually, he sins against the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the idea here is that sexual sin opens us up for an attack by the devil that is far greater than other sins. Now, all sin separates us from God. But sexual sin, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual sin, sexual sin puts us in a position where we can really, really find ourselves in trouble. So, um, yes, I guess gluttony is a sin. And I would tell people who are dealing with gluttony and overweight because of it, I would tell them that God's power is greater. See the power of God move. But you can't even compare it to homosexuality. So are we picking and choosing? I don't think so. I think we're prioritizing, and I think that's important. That's something that we ought to to do anonymous. So um, thank you for the question. I'm sorry I couldn't finish it Friday, but I think that's pretty important for us. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app from Caleb. He said, when Jesus was on earth, could he read people's minds? 
Um, Caleb, it's a hard question to answer because we don't have any indication he could read people's mind, but the Bible does say he knew what was in their hearts. It wasn't like Jesus was a fortune teller, wasn't using his power as God to, to read people's minds, but he could look into their hearts. Repeatedly we're told in the Gospels that he committed himself to no man because he knew what was in their hearts. And what was in their hearts is really what was keeping them away from believing in him. But as to whether he could read their mind or not, remember Jesus was a man. He walked this earth as a human. He veiled his deity. He veiled the fullness of power. And unless the power of the Holy Spirit allowed him to do things, unless he heard or saw his Father in heaven leading those things, then in fact, he was on his own as a man. So Caleb Betts says, much as I can do with that one, much as I can do with that question, simply because we're not given the information. Let's go to the phone lines and talk with Joe on line one from San Antonio. Joe, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Joe, are you, Joe, are you with us? Oh, Joe hung up. Boy, that was quick. Joe, you can, the line is open. You can call back. Here is a question from Fred. He says, is there anything we can do about losing an entire generation of Christians? Fred, I don't know what makes you think we're losing an entire generation of Christians. Jesus said, I have lost none that you have given me. Speaking to the Father. He lost none then, he loses none now. And and I think, Fred, what we do is we see kids that are raised in church and they're rejecting him when he go when they go to college or they go out in the work work world. And I think we think, well, we've lost the great no, we haven't. There's nothing that says that kids are saved because they were raised in church. A kid that gets baptized as a little kid or a or, or accepts Jesus into his heart as a little kid, that faith, that statement of faith is going to be tested as he or she grows up. So, Fred, if you think we're losing an entire generation of Christians, how impotent is our God? I think what we need to do, Fred, and this is where I think we adults have to take the responsibility, I think we have raised children in Christian homes and our walk with Christ has been so inconsistent, so lacking in joy, so lacking in power, and lacking in faith, that as our kids grew up, they decided our Jesus wasn't worth having. But it's just not true that we're losing an entire generation of Christians. We don't have the power to lose them any more than we have the power to make them. So Fred, let me share my heart here, because I think this is really important for us to consider. Every Christian home that has a kid that's gone wayward, whether it's going to college or just they're, they're, they've fallen into sin, I think the first thing that we have to do is look into our hearts as parents. Did we rightly represent the Lord? Were our lives full of joy? Did our kids see that we freaked out when difficult things came? Did, did our kids watch us fall on our knees and pray when those difficult things came? Did our lives demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control? I, again, I think we so insulate ourselves in church, we think going to church is what makes us a Christian, and that's just not true. As we raise our children, we have to be sure that we're giving them Jesus that's desirable, not changing who he is, but but. They need to see that there was the impact or power of God in our lives as adults. And if we adults are inconsistent, if we adults keep falling into sin, I think what happens is that we lose our position of authority over our children and they look at us as just big hypocrites. So, Fred, we're not losing anyone Jesus is the one, and he knows those who are his. Remember I said to the last question, we know, or he knows what's in our hearts. We have to be very, very careful to make sure everybody else can see it. Here is a question from Joe. This is a Joe who hung up. 
He said, I know Calvary Chapel does not ask for tithes, while most churches do. Should churches demand tithes, what is correct? Um, Joe, tithing, the word tithe means a tenth, and, and it's simply the idea that we give 10%. By the way, the most faithful tithers I know are Mormons. They always give 10%, and they're not even Christian. So here's the thing. The, the tithe was given under the law to Jews. It wasn't given to Christians. It wasn't given to the church. You don't see the principle of tithing in the book of Acts nor in the epistles of Paul, Peter, James, or John. We don't ask, we don't even let our needs be known here, Joe. We don't pass a plate or an offering bag or a bucket or any such thing. We put offering boxes in the back and, and we let people know where they are. Our offering statement takes maybe 30 seconds for our announcer to give. By the way, it's our announcer's birthday today. You can say happy birthday to Sam. Um, but uh, the truth of the matter is, is that tithing has nothing to do in a New Testament construct. Tithing is compelled in the New Testament giving is a privilege, an honor that we get to participate in. Now, the question is, if tithing is not demanded in churches, in New Testament churches, why do so many churches do it? And I think the answer to that, Joe, is that there are just a whole bunch of pastors and church boards and leaders that don't have faith to trust God. I open this program by celebrating, bragging on God, not bragging on Calvary Chapel, certainly not bragging on me, but bragging on God for 20 years of a free school. Now, we don't have a huge church. We've got a lot of people that come here, but we've got a small facility. We can't fit anybody else in. We can't get more money without more people coming in. And yet for 20 years, God has been faithful to keep a free school going. And I mean, we pay for everything. Books, uniforms, race fees for sports, things like that. We pay for everything. And it's fully supported by the people here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. In addition to that, we have a free doctor's office, family practice doctor's office. We've got a pediatrician, a nutritionist. We've got people down there who are sacrificing a lot to serve. Additionally, we have a home for women. Somebody gave us a house. We turned it into a home for women who are experiencing difficulties in their life, regardless of whether they're young women or older women. Uh, often they're, they're women with babies and they're fleeing difficult circumstances. And all of those things cost a lot of money. Just those three ministries alone, just those three, cost us about $100,000 a month. And without demanding anybody gives anything, God has been faithful to keep our head above water. Now, honestly, Joe, sometimes it's just barely above water. And it's hard. It really is hard sometimes. But having said that, we've also been able to see for 20 years God's hand move continually. And I think the reason so many churches tithe I think the reason they extrapolate the Old Testament into the New Testament is simply because it's easier to compel people to give than it is to trust God that they will. So I'm over the top in terms of tithing is not for today. And I'll say one more thing, Joe. If under the law we had to give 10%, How much more generous should we be? No longer under law, no longer condemned by the law. But better than that, under grace. Should we not be the most generous people in the world? I hope that makes sense to you, Joe. But no, churches should not demand tithes. They shouldn't ask for their money. Um, But people do. And that's just the way it is. Is it sin? I don't think it's sin. I think it's a lack of faith. I think it's um, misunderstanding. I don't know. If you give them the benefit of the doubt, probably most of them are just doing what all the other churches do. It's really hard to trust God to breathe. It really is. 
but it is wonderfully, abundantly blessed to be able to do so. So, Joe, I hope that answers your question, but tithing is not for New Testament churches. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Maggie or Margie. I can't read my writing. Uh, this one says, how do we know that the Bible is more authoritative than church tradition and practice? Uh, Maggie, it's a good question. I, I think we have to understand logically that if church tradition is more authoritative than the Word of God, then we have no standard. I mean, church tradition has changed throughout the centuries. Churches keep deciding things are, are different and things are changing, and so the church just keeps going. But then, and, and Jesus said his word stands forever. It is the sole source of authority for the New Testament Christian and for the New Testament church. And if we put tradition on an equal level with the word of God, then what we have done really is put tradition in a position above the Word of God. And I know lots of churches have their traditions. In fact, every church has their traditions. The one, what we want to do is make sure our traditions are biblical. But if, in fact, um, tradition is on an equal level with with the, the Word of God, then we have no standard. And we're going to be moving with every new wind and wave of doctrine with every new tradition. And uh, honestly, um, there's simply no other way to know where we're going or how to get there. It is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And Jesus was adamant about that when he was here. He quoted the scriptures. He told people, and did this, by the way, through the prophets in the Old Testament as well. But he was always saying his word will never change. His word stands firm, immovable. And unless we get that, we're always going to be moving. And honestly, we see churches make such horrible mistakes with their traditions. I wonder, well, where did you get that? And why do you keep doing it? Well, that's the way the church has always done it. Well, that's what we have to be careful of, Maggie, because, again, I want this to be the emphasis of this answer, is if the Word is not the final and sole authority for life and practice, both individually as Christians and in the church, then we have no authority whatsoever. Maggie, it's the Word. And if you do what it says, if you hold on to it, then you won't get tripped by any of these church traditions, no matter how many years or centuries they've been practiced. Thank you for the question, Maggie. Here's, I think, the last question for this part of the show, this half of the of the show. It is an anonymous question. She or he wants to know, what does the Bible say about interracial marriage? Uh, actually, anonymous, the Bible doesn't say anything about interracial marriage. The Old Testament talks about mixed marriage, but it's not racially mixed marriage. Um, Moses married a foreigner. Um, there, there's other examples of godly men, people in Hebrews chapter 11, who married foreign women. Abraham, after Sarah died, married foreign women. The mixed marriage that God denies is that between a believer and an unbeliever. And the admonition against mixed marriages will always don't marry the foreign women with their pagan gods. And the warning was always that if you do, you will be seduced into worshiping their gods. And that's exactly what happened. So the Bible says nothing at all about interracial marriage. And I think that's a throwback to a time when um, racism uh, so infected the church that uh, the church at times was indiscernible from people in the world. So uh, Anonymous says nothing. No, I, I, I hope you know this by now, but Paula and I are in interracial marriage. Um, she's black and I'm white. Um, and um, God has given us the privilege and honor of doing what we do here at Calvary Chapel for now 24 and a half years. Uh, and um, I don't know whether it's a coincidence or not, but I actually pastor one of the most diverse churches, ethnically, racially, uh, that you'll find anywhere in the world. 
Uh, I've been in some really, really racially and ethnically diverse places. New York City and London especially. But, but you walk into our church and we're a really good picture, Anonymous, of, of, of the population of our city. Uh, our church is maybe um, um, 50 to 60% Hispanic. Our city is 60% Hispanic. Um, uh, our city's about 12% African American. Uh, our church has a greater um, percentage of the whole than that of African Americans. We have uh, um, um, a pretty big Asian population in our church. We have uh, Indians and Pakistanis. We, we've got uh, white people. We've got just everybody in just about the same proportion that San Antonio, Texas has. I think that's what happens when you teach the Word of God. So the Bible says nothing in God's eyes. There's only two groups of people, saved and unsaved. God doesn't look at the outside like man does. He looks at the heart. We've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program. We'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585. This is the Word of Santa for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the show. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question I really like from Anthony. He says, James 5.16 talks about fervent prayer. What does fervent prayer look like, and what does fervent prayer sound like? Anthony, a couple of things, and let me start with the negative. Fervent prayer is not loud prayer. Fervent prayer is not King James English. Fervent prayer isn't falling on your face and being very emotive. Fervent prayer. And this is really important. Fervent prayer is prayer from the heart. Prayer in the will of God. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you pray from a heart that delights in Jesus, all of your prayer is going to be fervent. Now, it can be the same prayers. You know, you can repeat prayers daily. I do. I have a very, very, very long list of people to pray for. I've got pictures on my prayer wall that covers uh, virtually an entire room in our house. Uh, I'm a visual guy, so I like to look at those pictures and I can pray and connect with people. Uh, but, but the fact that I pray the same thing for healing for this person or for a new job for this person, uh, that, that doesn't mean it's not fervent prayer. It's, it's prayer that really wants God's best for those people that wants God's will for those people, I never raise my voice. I never raise my voice. I'm not typically very emotional. So I'm not one who starts crying. Now, we've got some men in our church who the minute they start praying for somebody, their hearts are so tender, they start crying. And and, and I, I'm not that emotional. Their prayers are fervent. My prayers are fervent. So fervent prayer is prayer that is... That, that seeks the will of God, prayer that is is authored by the Holy Spirit of God, and prayer that desires the heart of God. Now, there's something else about fervent prayer, Anthony, that I think many times people forget. For prayer to be fervent, genuine, sincere prayer, then our sin has to be dealt with. We can't just pray for people. I mean, think about it all the time. And I spend a lot of time praying. Now I'm out in the streets and I'm walking or I'm running or I'm in my, my office looking at pictures. I spend a lot of time in prayer. However, um, none of those prayers mean anything if there's unrepentant sin in my heart. So fervent prayer is also holy prayer. And, you know, when we repent of sins but we're planning the same sin again 
That's not fervent prayer. When we sin and say, God, I hate my sin. I'm struggling with this. Please help me. Forgive me. That then can be fervent prayer. And then you know that you can pray in a, in a, in a manner that God will be able to hear. So it's very important that we make the distinction. It's not emotional prayer. It's not loud prayer. It's not many, many words prayer. It's simply prayer that comes from the heart of God to God himself. Prayer that is holy and prayer that is genuine. Prayer that wants the best for others. Prayer that wants the will of God. Nevertheless, Jesus said, Thy will, O God, be done and not my will. Let's go to the phones and talk with Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I really enjoyed yesterday's study at church, and I've got a question, but that's going to percolate a little in my mind. I'll, I'll call another day on that one. But my question today is in Psalm 78, verse 25, it says, Men ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. And I know that the whole um, psalm is about uh, God taking care of Israel, you know, when they were in the desert. But my question mm-hmm. is, do you think the angels ate manna? Because it seems to me like maybe they did. And would we be eating manna in heaven? So I'll get off the phone and, and let you answer me. And thank you for yesterday. I really was enjoying, enjoyable at church. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you so much. You know, Paula will tell you, I, I, I went home and I felt like I did a horrible job yesterday. So, Cindy, you encouraged me a great deal. Um, interesting perspective. Uh, the, the, the reference to angels' food or food delivered by angels um, is what the psalmist intends there. Um, it seems clear that the angels were sent by God to make sure the manna was there every morning in the wilderness so it's not food that the angels ate, but it's food that the angels delivered. And and that was what was responsible for for uh, the, the food in the in the wilderness. You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, unlike a lot of people, I never think about what we're going to eat in heaven. Uh, the fact that we, we can eat and, and won't gain weight, the fact that we don't need to eat, but we'll do it simply out of joy is, is enough for me. But but I don't think, Cindy, that we'll eat manna in heaven, not at all. I think um, in the new heaven, the new earth, we'll, we'll be able to, to, to taste fruit. Can you imagine how good, and I'm not a fruit guy, so this is coming from me. Imagine how good the fruit of heaven is going to be. Imagine that. Paula loves fruit. She could eat it all day. Imagine how good it's going to be. So I, I don't think... We're going to need that. No, I, I have to say this to you, Cindy. I would love to be able to taste manna. Maybe in heaven I'll be able to do that. I would love to know what what the manna was like as it was delivered fresh in the morning, uh, laid upon a layer of dew so it wouldn't get dirty, uh, and people go out and gather it. You know, I'm one of those guys. And I'm, I'm, I'm weird. I'll say that up front. But I'm... One of those guys that can eat the same thing every day. If I like something, I don't get tired of it. So if I went out that first day and tasted manna from heaven and said, man, this is so good. Thank you, Jesus. I really could eat it for 40 years. But I I really would like to taste it. Um, uh, I've always thought how cool that would be if I could just taste the manna, see what they existed on um, but but I don't think we'll be eating that at all thank you Cindy I appreciate it and thank you for the kind words about yesterday let's go now to Jimmy on line one Jimmy thanks for calling her on the hello can you hear me hi Jimmy hi oh Ephesians uh, 6 10 13 it says okay this is what I want to for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. So it's talking about evil and heavenly realms. That's that's my, my question. So that's talking about Satan still in a, in a heavenly realm? 
Yeah, not just Satan, Jimmy, but but all kinds of of spiritual forces, uh, uh, demonic spirits. One thing that's clear uh, about um, angels is that, there, is that there are different levels of angels with different powers, uh, and in the dark angel world, that there's there's different levels of evil, and certainly the the different levels of power. Um, we we read in Genesis chapter six that there were angels that were practically incorrigible. I mean, they, they, they left their first estate and they went in and took the sons of men, um, or the, the daughters of men, rather, into their yeah. beds. Uh, there are some angels, some demonic angels, that are, are so powerful that they're bound in the abyss, awaiting uh, the day uh, when they're released to do the will of God on the earth in terms of evil in the Great Tribulation. So there are some angels that are so powerful, so evil. We know that that uh, Lucifer, uh, the, who who became Satan, we know that Lucifer uh, was was the equivalent of Michael the Archangel. And in the Old Testament, we often see Satan and Michael the Archangel um, uh, contesting over things. Moses' body was one of those things, and and um, um, Michael always wins because he's on a mission from God. Uh, but 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 there's all kinds of different levels, and what we've got to do is realize. I think the context of this passage, when he tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, what he's saying is don't take it personal when people irritate you. It's not the person that we should be irritated with, but we need to contend with the spirit that's motivating that person, and uh, it is a continual battle every single day uh, with our flesh. I, I for me personally. Uh, sometimes attacks seem so personal and the things that people say, and I have to stop and remind myself, it's not them, Jesus. You love them as much as you love me, but the struggle is the spirit behind them and behind their deeds. That's why you tell us in the next verse. You know what hurts me? You know what hurts me? It hurts me that they don't know. They don't know Jesus, and, and that's what hurts me. See, I think that's exactly where God wants your heart to be, Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, if they need a true love of Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep, and unfortunately, there's just too many people who will not ever know that love because they reject it. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, uh, we always have to remember that those people who who come against us are not the enemies of our ministry, but the object of our ministry. And Jimmy, if more people had your heart toward the people that drive them crazy, I think more people would get saved. So when you see people acting Amen. out, pray for them, love them, share Jesus with them. And God will use you, buddy. you got to have that heart. It should break our heart that anybody goes to hell. Instead of having a sense of vindication, you know, they get what's coming to them. It should break our heart. And we should never, ever ever confront somebody without having prayed for them. We should never speak ill of them without having prayed for them. We need to know that our hearts are consistent with Jesus' heart. I like that comment, Jimmy. Thank you very, very much. Yes, sir. And one more thing. Uh, I want to say happy birthday to the top, top Marine. Uh, this is a going to be just retired. Okay. Thank you, Jimmy. He's laughing. He's laughing. My producer, for the rest of you, my producer is a Marine. I once made the mistake of saying an ex-Marine and got pummeled. But he is a Marine. But uh, let's just say this is not his 25th birthday today. So he is a retired Marine. Thanks, Jimmy. God bless you. 340-9585. Here is a question from Jason. He says, how should I respond when pastors and other leaders end up renouncing their faith. You know, Jason, I don't know if you're asking because of this, but there has been uh, a couple of really well-known people, famous people, who have turned their back on Jesus and renounced everything they believe. Um, uh, it's been in, in the social media news um, um, endlessly, it seems. Uh, and, and here's how we should respond. We should respond with prayer. Praying for them. You know, nobody really knows Jesus and leaves him. Now, we sin and we mess up, but nobody who really knows him leaves him. 
And I think people like this, and, and you know, in, in the one case, particular case, that, that's the most recent, the one I'm thinking about, um, this guy just won't shut up on social media. I mean, if he wants to go away, he should go away. He won't, he won't shut up on social media. I think he has been so impacted by the message of social media that he's lost focus on Jesus altogether. Now, I, I'm praying that he'll come back to, to a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that he really was saved, because if he was, he will be. But, but we don't need to worry about it, nor, nor, nor be too concerned about it, um, because what matters, Jason, is our walk with the Lord. And I think if we look at people who um, once served God and have fallen away, I, I think we'll lose sight of our own position in Christ. And I think, frankly, that we've got enough to worry about just every day. Paul said that we're to examine our faith, our, our, ourselves in the heart continually, daily, to see whether or not we're in the faith. And, and I just think with all of the distractions and and uh, all of the, the temptations out there, uh, we've got our hands full just walking with Jesus every single day. And if um, uh, somebody falls, a pastor falls, I have, J- Jason, um, three men that I counted as friends, pastors that I looked up to, who fell horribly and and in in large part were living lies for many, many years, preaching one thing and living a secret life. And and you know what? You just get to the point where you think, God, you know their hearts. I don't know their hearts. The only thing that matters is my walk with you. So don't let what famous people do influence you. Um, Jason, just, just focus on your walk with the Lord. Let's go now back to the phones and talk with Federico. He's back on line one. Federico, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Gloria Dios, Bernardo. How are you doing, Pastor Ron? Glory to God, I'm doing well. Glory to God, bless it. Bienaventurado, bless it. And glory to God, yeah. Uh, Pastor, I, I was thinking what you were saying. You you got some great hindsight. Um, most of the, well, some, several of the reasons of some people stray away, I believe, is because uh, God is, isn't doing their, they want their will to be done. God isn't mm-hmm. doing their will. Instead of thinking, well, it's not my will. But I have to ask, what is God's will? And I guess they I, get I, discouraged. And, uh-huh. I couldn't agree more, Federico. And I'll, I'll go one step further. I think that the, the, the content of their prayer life demonstrates where their heart really is. And, you know, too many of us, we want God to do things our way. We want God to meet us on our terms. And that can never happen. And the purpose of praying is not to get God to do what we want, but the purpose of prayer is to get our mind, our heart, lined up with God's will for our life. Because we know that when we're praying in the will of God, then those prayers are going to be answered. You still with us? Yes. Oh, we lost it. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I, I couldn't hear anything you said. You were blank for a minute. What's up? Oh, yeah, I was saying, well, that's why the prayer should be... Uh... Show me your will, so so I can follow your and 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 it's easy because in the greatest two commandments, I believe God told well, most of His will is to love Him and and love each other. Mm-hmm. The greatest two commandments, and it's pretty simple, but I I believe sometimes we make it too complicated. We complicate it ourselves. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Thank you, Federico. And then thank you, you more for your, your time there at the radio, Pastor. We, we appreciate your, your intelligence, your, your blessed man. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very, very much. You know, um, when, when Federico said that we make it too complicated, um, you know, it's real simple. We, we, sometimes we wrestle over God's will. What's your will? You know, the Bible is full of God's will. It is God's will that you flee sexual immorality. It is God's will that you're kind, that you love people. It is God's will that we're in his word. It is God's will that we're part of a, uh, an active part of a, of a healthy, vibrant church. And, and it is God's will that our marriage honors him. It is God's will that we raise our children in the, in the, in, in to, to know the, the will of God. It is God's will 
that we forgive people who've hurt us. You see, we do those things, the things that we know. God will reveal the rest of his will. And we need to remember that always because it's not hard to find out what God wants us to do every day. I think sometimes we're looking for a long-term will. I think sometimes we're looking for some secret insight when the will of God is disclosed to us over and over again. And um, um, one of the things that Federico was saying, and I'm going to paraphrase, was that that when we're not in the will of God, our prayers aren't going to be heard. It's not enough to say, show me your will, O God. Um, what we do have to do is say, Lord, empower me to do your will. And we know he's already answered that prayer by the power of his Holy Spirit. Here is a question from Jennifer. Um, Jennifer says, um, can you explain two things regarding the rapture? First is when, and the second is how long until it happens. Jennifer, I wish it would happen tonight, today, before we sign off the radio program. And I wish we would. I wish that would happen. But and it could. It could happen at any moment. So the the thing that we have to remember is we've got to leave that in His hands. Peter says that God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. And that's why his coming has been delayed. I have an unsaved son and daughter-in-law, and, and I certainly want them to be saved. I want Jesus to come today, but I want them to be saved. So God knows the balance between those two desires of my heart. Now, regarding the rapture, um, the when I told you nobody knows, uh, except that it could happen at any moment. We're living in the last days. And because we're living in the last days, we need to expect his return. And Jennifer, I believe with all of my heart that the power in the early church, the first century church, was based on their expectation that they were going to see Jesus at any given moment. If we would live like that in our lives right now, there'd be power in our lives that unbelievers could see unbelievers could see. We'd be out there sharing Jesus with people. All we have to do is look to the eastern sky and see Jesus coming. Let's go to Ray calling from San Antonio on line one. Ray, we've got about four minutes. Well, that's a lot of time for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, golly. Uh, I just just was struck by what you had said about the... uh, a moment ago, and uh, forgiveness, it's a very touchy, difficult, tricky, slippery slope, I think. And I've I've experienced and witnessed uh, many, many times, uh, not just in myself, but other other encounters with people that uh, it's very difficult to deal with and uh, easy to fool yourself and think, well, I've forgiven them, and so that's good. But then it comes back up again, and, you know, uh, what what do we do about that sort of a thing, Pastor Ron? And it's not much time left, but <laughs> wave your magic wand, sir. Thank you, and happy Thanks, birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Um, a couple of things. I think, you know, Paul tells us that we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. The fact that we're human and the fact that there's an enemy who's keep pushing replay because he wants to destroy us. We have to be aware of that. And so when those thoughts come back, we thought we'd forgiven somebody, but then that pain comes rushing back. We can remember that the source of that pain is the devil who wants to cause us even more pain. It's at that moment we got to remember, by the power of the Spirit, we can't do it in our own strength, we have none, but by the power of the Spirit, we can forgive. We can simply make a choice. Lord, I'm not going to let these thoughts bother me. I'm not going to let these thoughts change the fact that I know I've forgiven. I'm going to be available to be used. In the study that I did, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before, we talked about Jesus telling us forgiving as many as seven times in a day, and that was uh, hyperbole, that was an extreme example. 
if a guy sins against you seven times the same day, we're to keep on forgiving. And then he followed that up with a parable about a servant. If you're really a servant, you do what you're told to do, expecting nothing in return. And I think too often, Ray, in our culture, we we forgive somebody and we expect that to change them. We expect them to respond. And when they don't, we get mad all over again. So I think what we need to do is very simply forgive when the anger or the, 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 the ugliness comes back into our mind. We take those thoughts captive and we make the choice all over again to forgive. Jesus, I know you forgave me of much more than I'm being asked to forgive this person of. And while it hurts, you forgave me, so I'm going to forgive them. Jesus said that one of the elements of his model for prayer was that we are to forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven by God. If we withhold forgiveness, we're really saying, Jesus, withhold forgiveness from me. And since he can't do that, neither should we. When we are unwilling to forgive, it's nothing but flesh. And the only way to deal with flesh is to put a dagger through its heart. Die every day. That's what Jesus said. If we do that, then we understand our responsibility as servants of God. Thank you for the questions. Ray, thanks for the calls in the last half of the program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. No ladies or men's Bible studies here tonight. We're on a get used to the new school schedule break. September the 9th, they'll come back. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.